0: 7, can be reached by turning running water to them, inasmuch as the water must flow from one to another, there are practically no two cementers on the same level which are irrigated from the same water course, the result is that every plaque is upheld on its lower side, and usually on one or both ends, by a terrace wall, much of the mountain land is well supplied with boulders and there is an endless water-worn supply in the beds of all streams. All terrace walls are built of these and rest stones piled together without cement or earth. These walls are called fonding. They are from 1 to 20 and 30 feet high and from a foot to 18 inches wide at the top. The upper surface of the top layer of stones is quite flat and becomes the path among the cementers. The twiler ascends and descends among the terraces on stone steps made by single rocks projecting from the outside of the wall at regular intervals and at an angle easy of ascent and descent see place lii these stone walls are usually weeded perfectly clean at least once each year. Generally at the time the cementer is prepared for transplanting. This work falls to the women, who commonly perform it entirely nude. At times a scanty front and back apron of leaves is worn tucked under the girdle. In the Banai district, south of the Gotak area, there are terrace walls certainly 75 feet in height. Though many of these are not stoned, since the earth is of such a nature that it does not readily crumble. It is safe to say that nine-tenths of the available water supply of the dry season in the Bontoc area is utilized for irrigation. In some areas, as about Bontoc Pueblo, there is practically not a gallon of unused water where there is space for a cementera. A single area consisting of several thousand acres of mountainside is frequently devoted to cementeras. And I have yet to behold a more beautiful view of cultivated land than such an area of idra rice terraces, winding in and out, following every projection. Dipping into every pocket of the mountain, the walls ramble along like running things alive, like giant stairways the terraces lead up and down the mountain side, and, whether the levels are empty, dirt-colored areas, fresh, green-carpeted stairs, or patches of ripening, yellow grain, the beholder is struck with the beauty of the artificial landscape and marvels at the industry of an otherwise savage people. Irrigating by irrigation is meant the purposeful distribution of water over soil by man by means of diverting streams or by the use of canals in the shape of ditches or troughs for conveying and directing part of the water supply. Or by means of some other man-directed power to raise water to the required level. The Idru employ three methods of irrigation. One, the simplest and most natural, is to build cementeras along a small stream which is turned into the upper cementera and passes from one to another falling from terrace to terrace until all water is absorbed, evaporated, or all available or desired land is irrigated. Usually such streams are diverted from their courses, and they are often carried long distances out of their natural way. The second method is to divert a part of a river by means of a stone dam. The third method is still more artificial than the preceding the water is lifted by direct human power from below the cementer and poured to run over the surface. The first method is the most common. Since the mountains in Iguro land are full of small, usually perpetual, streams, there are practically no streams within reach of suitable Pueblo sites which are not exhausted by the Iguro agriculturist. Everywhere small streams are carefully guarded and turned wherever there is a square yard of earth that may be made into a rice cementera. Small streams in some cases have been wound for miles around the sides of a mountain, passing deep gullies and rivers in wooden troughs or tubes. Much land along the river valleys is irrigated by means of dams, called by the Idro During the season of 1903 there was one dam designated the main dam in place LVII see also PLS, LV and LVI across the entire river at Bontoc, throwing all the water which did not leak through the stones into a large canal on the Bontoc side of the valley. Half a mile above this was another dam called the upper dam in place LVII diverting one half the stream to the same valley. Only onto higher ground, immediately below the main dam were two low piles of stones designated weirs jutting into the shallow stream from the Bontoc side, and each gathering sufficient water for a few cementers, within a quarter of a mile below the main dam were three other loose, open weirs of rocks, two of which began on a shallow island, throwing water to the smoky side of the river. In the stream a short distance farther down a shallow row of rocks and gravel turn water into three new cementers constructed early in the year on a gravel island in the river. The main dam is about 12 feet high, 2 feet broad at the top, 8 or 10 at the bottom, and is about 300 feet long. It is built each year during November and December, and requires the labor of 15 or 20 men for about 6 weeks. It is constructed of river-worn boulders piled together without adhesive. The top stones are flat on the upper surface, and the dam is a pathway across the river for the people from the time of its completion until its destruction by the freshets of June or July. The upper dam is a new piece of primitive engineering. It, with its canal, has been in mind for at least two years, but it was completed only in 1903. The dam is small, extending only halfway across the river, and beginning on an island. This dam turns water into a canal averaging three feet wide and carrying about five inches of water. The canal, called Alac, is about 3.000 feet long from the dam at in place LVII to the place of discharge into the level area at p For about 530 feet of this distance it was impossible for the primitive engineer to construct a canal in the earth, as the solid rock of the mountain dips vertically into the river. About 50 sections of large pine trees were brought and hollowed into troughs, called talogan, which have been secured above the water by means of buttresses, by wooden scaffolding, called to and by attachment to the overhanging rocks, until there is now a continuous artificial waterway from the dam to the tract of irrigated land. Considerable engineering sense has been shown and no small amount of labor expended in the construction of this last irrigating scheme. The pine logs are a foot or more in diameter, and have a waterway dug in them about 10 or 12 inches deep and wide. These trees were felled and the troughs dug with the wussy, a short-handled tool with an iron blade only an inch or an inch and a half wide, and convertible alike into axe and adze. There seems to be a fall of about 22 feet between a at the upper dam and b at the discharge from the troughs. This fall in a distance of about 3.000 feet seems needlessly great, however. The primitive engineer has shown excellent judgment in the matter, first, by putting the dam up or dam where it island only half the stream had to be built across, second, there is a rapids immediately below the dam, and, had the Igor built his dam below the rapids, a dam of the same height would have raised the water to a much lower level, this would have necessitated a canal probably 10 or 12 feet deep instead of 3, third. The height of the water at the upper dam has enabled him to lay the log section of the waterway above the high water mark of the river, thus, probably, ensuring more or less permanence. Had the dam been built much lower down the stream the troughs would have been near the surface of the river and been torn away annually by the freshets, or the people would be obliged each year to tear down and reconstruct that part of the canal. As it now is it is probable that only the short dam will need to be rebuilt each year. All dams and irrigating canals are built directly by or at the expense of the persons benefited by the water. Water is never rented to persons with cementers along an artificial waterway. If a person refuses to bear his share of the labor of construction and maintenance his cementers must lie idle for lack of water. All cementer owners along a waterway, whether it is natural or artificial, meet and agree in regard to the division of the water. If there is an abundance all open and close their sluice gates when they please. When there is not sufficient water for this, a division is made usually each person takes all the water during a certain period of time. This scheme is supposed to be the best, since the flow should be sufficient fully to flood the entire plat a 100 gallon flow into hours is considered much better than an equal flow into days. During the irrigating season, if there is lack of water, it becomes necessary for each cementer owner to guard his water rights against other persons on the same creek or canal. If a man sleeps in his house during the period in which his cementers are supposed to receive water, it is pretty certain that his supply will be stolen, and, since he was not on guard, he has no redress, but should sleep chance to overtake him in his tiresome watch at the cementers, and should someone turn off and steal his water, the thief will get clubbed if caught and will forfeit his own share of water when his next period arrives. The third method of irrigation lifting the water by direct human power is not much employed by the Idro. In the vicinity of Bontoc Pueblo there are a few cementers which were never in a position to be irrigated by running water. They are called the Yokeo and, when planted with rice in the dry season, need to be constantly tended by toilers who bring water to them in pots from the river, creeks, or canals. On the smoky side of the valley during a week or so of the driest weather in May, 1903, there were four well-sweeps, each with a five-gallon kerosene oil can attached, operating nearly all day, pouring water from a canal into cementers through 60 or 80 feet of small, wooden troughs, turning the soil since rice, called paku, is the chief agricultural product of the igloo it will be considered in the following sections first. After which date of other vegetable products will be given. Turning the soil for the annual crop of irrigated rice begins in the middle of December and continues nearly two months. The labor of turning and fertilizing the soil and transplanting the young rice is all in progress at the same time generally. Two. In the same cementera. Since each is a distinct process. However, I shall consider each separately. Before the soil is turned in a cementera it has given up its annual crop of commodes and the water has been turned on to soften the earth. From 2 to 20 adults gather in a cementera, depending on the size of the plat, of which there are relatively few containing more than 10.000 square feet. They commonly range from 30 square feet to 1.500 or 2.000. The following description is one of several made in detail while watching the rice industry of the Bontocidro. The cementera is about 20 by 50 feet or about 1.000 square feet, and lies in the midst of the large valley area between Bontoc and Samoki. It is on the Samoki side of the river, but is the property of a Bontoc family. There are two groups of soil turners in the cementerat three men in one, and two unmarried women, an older married woman, and a youth in the other, at one end of the plateau, and part of the time three. Women are transplanting rice, for men are bringing fertilizer for the soil. Strange to say. Each of the men in the group of three is clothed. One wears his breechcloth as a breechcloth, and the other two wear their simply as aprons, hanging loose in front. Three of the men bringing fertilizer are entirely nude except for their girdles. Since they ford the river with their loads between the cementer and bantak and do not care to wet their breechcloths, the other man wears a bladder bag hanging from his girdle as an apron. One of the young women turning the soil wears a skirt. The other one and the old woman wear front and back aprons of commote vines, the youth with them is nude. The three transplanters wear skirts, and one of them wears an open jacket. Besides these there are three children in and about the cementera. one is a pretty, laughing girl of about nine years, one is a shy, faded haired little girl of three or four years, and the other is a fat chunk of a boy about five years. All three are perfectly naked. It is impossible to say what clothing these toilers wore before I went among them to watch their work, but it is certain they were not more clothed. Let us watch the typical group of the three women and the youth, each has a sharpened wooden turning stick, the kk, a pole about six feet long and two inches in diameter, the four stand side by side with their kk stuck in the earth, and, in unison, they take one step forward and push their tools from them the earth under which the tools are thrust falling away and crumbling in the water before them. While it is falling away the toilers begin to sing, led by the elder woman. The purport of the most common soil-turning song is this, it is hard work to turn the soil, but eating the rice is good. The song continues while the implements are withdrawn from the earth and jabbed in again in a new place. While the syllable pronounced at that instant is also noticeably jabbed into the air, again they withdraw their implements and, Singing and working in rhythmic unison, again jab kk and syllable, the implements are now thrust about eight inches below the surface, the song ceases, each twaller pries her section of the soil loose and, in a moment, together they push their tools from them, the mass of soil some two feet long, one foot wide, and eight inches deep falls away in the water, and the song begins again, as the earth is turned a commote, passed by in the commote harvest, is discovered. The old woman picks it up and lays it on the dry ground beside her. The little girl shyly comes for it and stores it in a basket on the terrace wall with a few dozen others found during the morning. After a section of earth 10 or 15 feet square has been turned, the rhythmic labor and song ceases. Each person now grasps her kk with one hand at the middle and the other near the sharpened end and with it rapidly crumbles and spreads about the new turned soil. Now they trample the bed thoroughly throwing out any stones or pebbles discovered by their feet, and frequently using the KK further to break up some small quad of earth. Finally a large section of the cementer is prepared, and the toilers form in line abreast and slowly tread back and forth over the plat, making the bed soft and smooth beneath the water for the transplanting. It is a delightful picture in the soil-turning season to see the acres of terraces covered by groups of toilers, relieving their laborers with almost constant song. I saw only one variation from the above methods in the Bontoc area. In some of the large cementers in the flat river bottom near Bontoc Pueblo a herd of 17 carabattos was skillfully milled round and round in the water. After the soil was turned, stirring and mixing the bed into a uniform ooze, the animals were managed by a man who drove them and turned them at will, using only his voice and a long switch. It is impossible to get carabattos to many irrigated cementers because of the high terrace walls. But this herd is used annually in the Bantok River bottom. After each rice harvest, the soil of the irrigated cementera is turned for planting commodes. But this time it is turned dry. More effort is needed to thrust the KK deep enough into the dry soil. And it is thrust three or four times before the earth may be turned. Only one half the surface of a cementera is turned for commodes. Raised beds are made about two feet wide and eight to twelve inches high. The spaces between these beds become paths along which the cultivator and harvester walks. The soil is turned from the spaces used as paths over the spaces which become beds. But the earth under the bed is not turned or loosened. Bontop beds are almost invariably constructed like parallel-sided, square-cornered teeth standing at right angles to the blade of the saw, which is also a commote bed, and are well shown in place alexii. In tulubin, this sawtooth bed also occurs but the continuous spiral bed and the broken, parallel, straight beds are equally as common, they are shown in figures 2 and 3, figure 2, parallel commote beds, figure 3, spiral commote beds, the mountainside cementer for four commotes, maize, millet, and beans is prepared simply by being scratched or picked an inch or to deep with the woman's commote stick, the one. if the plaque is new the grass is burned before the scratching occurs, but if it is cultivated annually the surface seldom has any care save the shallow work of the suwan. in fact, the surface stones are seldom removed. In the season of 1903, the first rains came April 5, and the first mountain cementer was scratched over for millet April 10, after five successive daily rains. Fertilizing much care is taken in fertilizing the irrigated cementers, the hog of a few pueblos in the Bontoc area, as in Bontoc and Samoki. Is kept confined all its life in a walled, stone paved sty dug in the earth sea place LXXVII. Into this enclosure, dry grasses and dead vines are continually placed to absorb and become rotted by the liquids. As the soil of the cementer is turned for the new rice crop, these pigsties are cleaned out and the rich manure spread on the beds. The manure is sometimes carried by women, or generally by men. And the carriers in a string pass all day between the cementer and the pueblo each bearing his transportation basket on his shoulder containing about 100 pounds of as good fertilizer as agricultural man ever thought to employ. The manure is gathered from the styes with the two hands and is dumped in the cementer in 10 pound piles about 5 feet apart after the soil has been turned and trod soft and even. It is said that in some sections of idro land dry vegetable matter is burned so that ash may be had for fertilizing purposes. I have seen women working long dry grass under the soil in commote cementers at the time the crop was being gathered place Alexidae, but i believe fertilizers are seldom employed except where rice is grown mountainside cementers are frequently abandoned after a few years service as they are supposed to be exhausted whereas fertilization would restore them seed planting pad chogon is the name of the cementer used as a rice seed bed one or more small groups of cementers in every pueblo is so protected from the cold rains and winds of November and December and is so exposed to the warm sun that it answers well the purposes of a primitive hotbed consequently it becomes such. And anyone who asks permission of the owner may plant his seed their seed place alexby. The seed is planted in the beds after they have been thoroughly worked and softened, the soil usually being turned three times. The planting in Bontoc occurs the first part of November. November 15, 1902, the rice had burst its kernel and was above water in the bontop beds, the seed is not shelled before planting, but the full fruit heads, synlutetium wi, are laid, without covering, on the soft ooze, under three or four inches of water, they are laid in rows a few inches apart, and are so close together that by the time the young plants are three inches above the surface of the water the bed is a solid mass of green, Bantak pueblo has six varieties of rice. Neighboring pueblos have others, and it is probable that fifty, perhaps a hundred, varieties are grown by the different irrigating peoples of northern Luzon. In Bantak, Tipa is a white beardless variety. Jaisang is white, and Choyet it is claimed to be the same grain, except it is dark colored. It is the rice from which the fermented beverage Tapuy is made. Puliopuli and Tupen are also white. Tupeng is sold in irrigated mountain cementers in the rainy season. Gumekai is a dark grain. Komotes or Tuki, are planted once in a long period in the cementers surrounding the buildings in the Pueblo. There is nothing to kill them. The ground has no other use. So they are practically perpetual. The average size of all the eight varieties of Bantat komotes is about two by four inches in diameter. Six of the varieties are white and two are red. The white ones are the following. Linokeo. Patuki, Kinabfa Fei Kiwing, and Tangtanglab. Lab, the red ones are a sig and Pitigan. To illustrate the many varieties which may exist in a small area I give the names of five other comotes grown in the Pueblo of Paluli, which is only about four hours from Bontak. The Paluli White comotes are Btak go Bang Bang, and Lo and the Red are Gis Gis I and T Millet, called Asa Fug, is so on the surface of the earth. The sowing is broadcast, but in a limited way, as the fields are usually only a few rods square. The seed is generally sold by women, who carry a small basket or dish of it in one hand and scatter the seed from between the thumb, forefinger, and middle finger of the free hand. There are said to be four varieties of millet in tantak Emodi and net are light-colored seeds, Pitinene is a darker seed the Igero says black, and Essinenga is the fourth. I have never seen it but I am told it is white, maize, or pikey, and beans, practically the only other seeds planted, are planted annually in hills, the rows of hills are quite irregular, maize, as is also millet, is planted immediately after the first abundant rains, occurring early in April, the Bontot man has three varieties of beans, one is called ka lap. the kernel is small, being only one fifth of an inch long. Usually it is pale green in color, though if you are black, both have an exterior white germ. I tab is about one-third of an inch long. It is both gray and black in color, and has a long exterior white germ. The third variety is black with an exterior white germ. It is called balotong, and is about one-fourth of an inch in length. Transplanting Transplanting is always the work of women, since they are recognized as quicker and more dexterous in most work with the hands than are the men. The women pull up the young rice plants in the seed beds and tie them in bunches about four inches in diameter. They transport them by basket to the newly prepared cementera and dump them in the water so they will remain fresh. As has been said, the manure fertilizer is placed about the cementera in piles. The women thoroughly spread this fertilizer with their hands and feet when they transplant sea place elix. When the soil is ready the transplanter grasps a handful of the plants twists off three or four inches of the blades, leaving the plant about six inches long, and, while holding the plants in one hand, with the other she rapidly thrusts them one by one into the soft bed, they are placed in fairly regular rows, and are about five inches apart, the planter leans enthusiastically over her work, usually resting one elbow on her needle left elbow, since most of the women are right handed and she sets from 40 to 60 plants per minute, When the cementeras are planted they present a clean and beautiful appearance even the tips of the rice blades twisted off are invariably crowded into the muddy bed to assist in fattening the crop. As many as a dozen women often work together in one cementer to hasten the planting. There are usually two or three little girls with their mothers, who while away the hours playing work, they stuff up the chinks of the stone walls with dirt and vegetable matter, they carry together the few commotes discovered in this last handling of the old commote bed and they quite successfully and industriously play at transplanting rice. Though such small girls are not obliged to work in the field, commotes are also transplanted. The women cut or pick off the runners from the perpetual vines in the cementers near the dwellings. Bees they transplant in the unirrigated mountain cementers after the crops of millet and maize have been gathered. The irrigated cementers are also planted to commotes by transplanting from these house beds. This transplanting lasts about six weeks in Bontoc, beginning near the middle of July. Some little sugar cane is grown by the Idro of the Bontoc area. It is claimed to grow up each year from the roots left at the preceding harvest. At times new patches of cane are started by transplanting shoots from the parent plants. It is said that in January the stalks are cut and set in a rich mud, and that in the season of pallowing, from about July 15 until early in September, The rooted shoots are transplanted to the new beds. Cultivating the chief cultivation given to agro-crops is bestowed on rice. Though all cultivated lands are remarkably free from weeds, the rice cementers are carefully weeded, suckers are pulled out, and the beds are thin generally, so that each plant will have all needful chance to develop fruit. This weeding and thinning is the work of women and half-grown children, every day for nearly two months, or until the fruit heads appear. The cultivators are diligently at work in the cementeris. No tools or agricultural implements other than bare hands are used in this work. The men keep constant watch of the cementer walls and the irrigating canals, repairing all, thus indirectly assisting the women in their cultivation by directing water to the growing crop and by conserving it when it is obtained. Protecting the rice begins to fruit early in April, at which time systematic effort to protect the new grain from birds, rats, monkeys and wild hogs commences, this effort continues until the harvest is completed, practically for three months, much of this labor is performed by water power, much by wine power, and about all the children and old people in a pueblo are busied from early dawn until twilight in the cementer as independent guards, besides, throughout the long night men and women build fires among the cementeras and guard their crop from the wild hog, it is a critical time with the Igro, the most natural, simplest and undoubtedly the most successful protection of the grain is the presence of a person on the terrace walls of the cementera, whether by day or night. Hundreds of fields are so guarded each day and on top by old people and children, who frequently erect small screens of tall grass to shade and protect themselves from the sun. The next simplest method is one followed by the boys. They employ a hollow section of carabao horn, cut off at both ends and about 8 inches in length. It is called congo This the boys beat when birds are near, producing an open, resonant sound which may readily be heard a mile. The wind tosses about over the growing grain various scarecrows. The pachek is one of these. It consists of a single large dry leaf, or a bunch of small dry leaves, suspended by a cord from a heavy, coarse grass six or eight feet high. The leaf, the sagi hangs four feet above the fruit heads. It swings about slightly in the breeze and probably is some protection against the birds. I believe it the least effective of the various things devised by the igoro to protect his rice from the multitudes of two in the small, brown rice bird found broadly over the archipelago. The most picturesque of these wine-tossed bird scarers is the culau. The culau is a basketwork figure swung from a pole and is usually the shape and size of the distended wings of a large gull, though it is also made in other shapes, as that of man, the lizard, etc. The pole is about 20 feet high, and is stuck in the earth at such an angle that the swinging figure attached by a line at the top of the pole hangs well over the cementer and about three or four feet above the grain sea place LXVII. The bird-like Kulau is hung by its middle, at what would be the neck of the bird, and it soars back and forth, up and down, in a remarkably lifelike way. There are often a dozen Kulau in a space for rods Square, and they are certainly effectual. If they look as bird-like to teal in as they do to man, when seen a short distance away they appear exactly like a flock of restless gulls turning and dipping in some harbor. Figure 4 Figure 4 Bird scarer in rice field The water-power bird scarers are ingenious. Across a shallow, running rapids in the river or canal a line, called Pichug, is stretched, fastened at one end to a yielding pole, and at the other to a rigid pole. About piece of wood about 15 inches long and 3 inches wide, called piuchi, is suspended by a line at each end from the horizontal cord. This piuchi is suspended in the rapids, by which it is carried quickly downstream as far as the elasticity of the yielding pole and the pie chug will allow. Then it snaps suddenly back upstream and is ready to be carried down and repeat the jerk on the relaxing pole. A system of cords passes high in the air from the jerking pole at the stream to other slender jerked poles among the cementers. From these poles a low jerking line runs over the cementers, over which are stretched at right angles parallel cords within a few feet of the fruit heads. These parallel cords are also jerked, and their movement, together with that of the leaves depending from them, is sufficient to keep the birds away. One such machine may send its shock a quarter of a mile and trouble the birds over an area half an acre in extent. Other rigorous as those of the Upper Abra River in Lepanto Province, employ the same jerking machine to produce a sharp, clicking sound in the cementera. The jerking cord repeatedly raises a series of hanging, vertical wooden fingers, which, on being released, fall against a stationary, horizontal bamboo tube, producing the sharp click. These clicking machines are set up onto supporting sticks a few feet above the grain every three or four yards about the cementeras. There are many rodents, rats and mice, which destroy the growing grain during the night, and less great care is taken to cheat them. Beedrill makes a small deadfall, which he places in the path surrounding the cementera. I have seen as many as five of these traps on a single side of a cementera, not more than thirty feet square. The trap has a closely woven wooden deadfall, about ten or fifteen inches square. One end is set on the path, and the other is supported in the air above it by a string. One end of this string is fastened to a tall stick planted in the earth. The lower end is tied to a short stick a part of the spring held rigid beneath the deadfall until the trigger is touched. The deadfall drops when the rat, in touching the trigger, releases the lower end of the cord. The animal springs the trigger either by nibbling a bait on it or by running against it, and is immediately killed, since the